Well, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your multiple blessings to us. We thank you that you are here in the room with us, that you hear every, every prayer that we utter and, in fact, even the ones that we don't know how to give words to. So, Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you sent your son Jesus to die and rise again for us, and we ask that as we uh, open your word that whatever you have for us is, is right there and that uh, you will help us to, to be open to what you want us to hear today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to be reading in the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah. So please take out your Bibles and turn to the Isaiah chapter 5. And we'll also be reading in chapter 11. So you'll need two fingers to bookmark your Bible today. Um, there should be one in the seat back in front of you if you haven't brought your Bible today. And if you don't even own one, well, of course, please take that Bible that's there and make it your own because we pray that you will spend time in God's word on a regular basis. Well, the two chapters, different chapters that we're reading in the uh, Old Testament book of Isaiah are gonna work a lot like stories that Paul Harvey used to tell on the radio. You may remember Paul Harvey he would give stories, all the background details at the very beginning, and then he'd tell you the rest of the story at the end. Well, Isaiah is going to work a lot like that, excepting that we're going to read chapter 5, and then chapter 11 will be kind of the rest of the story, and yet it's not the rest of the story, because Isaiah has 55 chapters after that. It's a very long book, but it's a rich book, so I encourage you to spend some time in it. You may remember from a few weeks ago that all of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms after God was angry with Solomon for worshiping foreign gods. Well, the northern kingdom consisted of 10 tribes and went, retained the name Israel, However, Scripture sometimes refers to it as Ephraim when it's important for us to recognize that they're talking about the northern kingdom. Ephraim was predominant among the ten tribes and the northern kingdom's first king, King Jeroboam, came from Ephraim. Now, Pastor Tom's message last week came from the book of Hosea. And Hosea was a prophet to that northern kingdom of of Israel, or Ephraim. And you may recall Hosea's description of God's deep love for Israel and then his heartbroken grief when Israel betrayed his love by worshiping other gods. Well, the situation's not much different in the southern kingdom of Judah. God loved them in inexpressible ways. Yet they too betrayed his love by worshiping other gods. God sent the prophet Isaiah to call them back. Well, why does God expect so much from Israel and Judah? I mean, he loves them dearly. Yet he's sure coming down hard on them. And he's so serious 
about this that, <clears throat> spoiler alert, both kingdoms are going to end up conquered by other nations and be taken into captivity in exile. So what's going on? Well, Pastor Tom gave us a pretty strong hint last week when he asked us, whose approval are you looking for? Because approval, affirmation, and hope all require something first. And that something is a relationship. You know how this works, don't you? If my wife and I are out to dinner and I start eating spaghetti with my fingers, my wife has every right to tell me to use a fork, doesn't she? She does, because we're in a relationship. Now, we might not be in a relationship very much longer if I continue my shoddy manners, okay? But for the time being, Mary can tell me to use a fork. Meanwhile, the people becoming disgusted at the table next to us have no right to say anything, even though in our culture today they probably will. No matter how much they want to chime in, they have no right to say anything because they are not in relationship. Mary would probably look at them reassuringly and say, I'll take care of this. And she would take care of this. <clears throat> now, let me assure you that I honestly do know my table manners and I'm like, not likely to embarrass anyone as in that example. So with all the St. John's announcements involving food lately, please keep inviting me. But you get my point, don't you? God expects love from his people, Israel and Judah, because they are in relationship with him. That relationship was established early in the Old Testament for example, in chapter 26 of Leviticus, we read, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Every relationship brings along expectations that we have for one another. You can probably think of the expectations you've had in your own relationships. And if you've had children, you might have called them rules. Mary and I had several rules for our kids, and I was particularly in, um, insistent upon my top two. Number one, thou shalt not disrespect thy mama. That's number one. And number two is lying is the worst thing you can do. That last one will come up in some future uh, sermons, so stay tuned because that one has a lot of stories to it. God established his relationship with Israel by giving them the law. He had just delivered the Hebrew people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they didn't know anything about anything. They only knew how to obey their overseers. So God gave them 613 laws dealing with his relationship with them, worship, diet, hygiene, cleanliness, community, to name a few. 
you're probably already familiar with the Ten Commandments found in where? Anybody know? Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5. Okay? God is explicit about their relationship in the very first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is so immensely important because expectations, rules, and in this case, the law, is evidence of God's love and care for Israel and for us. Think of it another way around. If there's no relationship, you don't really care what happens to somebody else or what they do, do you? Not really. Oh, no, you might interrupt me here and say, yes, I do. I care very deeply for other people. And I'm sure you do. And it's because you love because God first loved you. You're in relationship. But without that relationship, maybe not. God's law is evidence of relationship. So where are your relationships? In other words, who are you? And perhaps more more importantly, whose are you? Keep those questions in mind as we read Isaiah's Vineyard Song. So please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5 as we read verses 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower on it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes. But... It yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do in my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isaiah describes God's love for Judah and Jerusalem like a vineyard. 
we might be able to identify better with the garden. Are any of you garden, gardeners? Do you like to, yeah. Do you like to plan your garden, design it, work it, till the soil and plant things so that after everything comes out, it looks absolutely beautiful? Are you one of to put a lot of work in your garden? Or maybe for you, it's a lawn or your landscaping. And after you've done all that work, don't you look forward to the harvest? Having good vegetables or fruit to eat or beautiful flowers to see and enjoy? Perhaps you look forward to a gorgeous lawn and shrubbery. This photo is of our garden a few years ago. We grow some vegetables, but because we keep honeybees, we grow a lot of flowers so that we can provide them with nearby dining opportunities. And in front of the garden, flower garden, you'll notice one of our beehives. And this one was, was uh, painted by, one, by our youngest daughter, Jenny. The anticipation of a beautiful and abundant garden or landscaping or a vineyard it's one of the cherished delights of spring, isn't it? In a way, we can sense some of the excitement that, and love that God for his, had for his chosen people. Yet, for all our high hopes, and despite our, all our efforts, gardens don't always turn out the way we'd hoped, and they don't always last. And this one's my garden, too. What if your garden turns out like this? What do you do then? Don't you just want to plow it under and start from scratch? Our scripture for today tells us that the people of Jerusalem and, Jer and Judah were God's vineyard and he tended to them closely. He loved them. He nurtured them. He did everything a wise and attentive gardener should do. Actually, he did everything that the one true God should do to love, nurture, and protect his chosen people. Nevertheless, the vineyard of Judah bore bad fruit. Well, what do you think happened? Well, it seems that they forgot who they were and whose they were. They were God's chosen people. They belonged to God. And yet, they turned their back on him. They rebelled against him and worshiped other gods. They did not honor him, and they did not trust him. All because they forgot, or chose to forget, who they were and whose they were. I want to tell you a story. It's a story that showcases the importance of remembering things. Now, this is not my story. And I'm thankful that this is not my story because if it were mine, there is just no way I would be telling it to you. I wasn't born yesterday. So this story belongs to Ken Davis, who is a Christian speaker. He's a wonderful uh, speaker, has a lot of good things to say, and he's funny. He's just funny to listen to. This is his story. 
Ken Davis likes to keep his keys in his car. He figures it's a practical thing to do, you know, because you always know where your keys are. You don't need one of those little square finder gizmos that, you know, are on, on there that some people may need, okay? Because if your keys are in your car, they're right there, you know, and, and then when you want to go someplace, you just get in the car and start her up and you take off. You're ready to go. Well, Ken's wife has been telling him for years. She's not happy with this. She says, Ken, do not leave your keys in the car. Do not. Somebody's going to steal your car. And I guess this went back and forth for a number of years. I don't know. But one day, you know, Ken was at a church, at church for a meeting. And they spent some hours there doing the things that, at the meeting that they were meant to do. And when they finished up and it was time to go home, Ken couldn't find his keys. Well, he checked his pockets. They're not there. And he looked on the table where they'd been working in the church and they weren't there. He thought maybe he'd left them in the church office. So he went over to the church office there. Bill Luck didn't find him there either. They were nowhere to be found. So finally, Ken figures, well, maybe I probably, I probably left them in the car like I always used to do. I'll lift them in the car. So he walked outside and looked around. And you know what's happening, right? This, the car was nowhere to be found. <laughs> it was gone. Someone had apparently stolen his car. So he went back into the church and he called the police. Police came, asked a lot of questions, did a, began an investigation. And then Ken had to make the most important phone call of them all. Yeah, he had to call his wife. He dialed the phone, his wife answered, and he told his wife, Honey, I did what you've always asked me not to do. I left my keys in the car, and sure enough, someone has stolen my car. There was total silence on the other end of the phone. He says, honey, are you still there? Not a word. Sweetheart? Finally, his wife answered him, Ken, I dropped you off at church today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot. Will you come and pick me up? She said, yes, I will. She said, I will, just as soon as I convince this police officer that I did not steal your car. (laughs) You know, it's important to remember things, isn't it? The people of Judah evidently forgot, or chose to forget, who they were and whose they were that they were the chosen people of God. They forgot, or they chose to forget, that they belonged to God. So they betrayed his love by chasing other false gods. And it's just as important for you and for me to remember who we are and, more importantly, 
whose we are. The kingdoms of the two, or the histories of the two kingdoms of Israel have been similar up to this point. They were God's chosen people. He loved them dearly. And yet both rejected him by worshiping other gods, foreign gods. And God sent multiple prophets to call them back, to urge them to turn their ways around, to repent. He sent Hosea, as you heard last week, to the northern kingdom. And he sent Isaiah to the southern kingdom of Judah. And I've already given, you away, given away the spoiler. Both kingdoms ended up being conquered by other nations and carted away in captivity, in exile. However, this is where the story goes into different directions. The northern kingdom, Israel, sometimes called Ephraim, was later conquered by the Assyrians, taken into exile, and most of them were assimilated. We never hear much from them afterwards. The southern kingdom, on the other hand, Judah, was later conquered by the Babylonians. They too were taken into exile. However, a remnant of Judah will return later to Jerusalem. And that's the rest of the story. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, where the prophet Isaiah tells us the rest of the story, beginning at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Can you hear Isaiah describing our Savior, Jesus? Isaiah prophesied some 700 years before the birth of Christ. And this is nearly 100 years before Judah would even fall into captivity by the Babylonians. God sent Isaiah with several important messages. He warned Judah of God's broken heart and anger over their sin. He told them of their impending defeat, captivity, and exile. He also comforted them in knowing that their exile would not be permanent. 
And finally, he encouraged them when they returned, when they were going to return in the future to a devastated Jerusalem. And yet, early in his prophecies, the verses we just read, is the best encouragement of all. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Did you know that a large tree can be cut down, leaving just a stump? And sometimes shoots come out of the stump and can grow into a new full-size tree. That's what Isaiah said would happen to the kingdom of Judah. Babylon would conquer them, and they would be cut down, just like a tree, leaving a stump. And he called them the stump of Jesse. He named them by name. For they were in the line of King David, and Jesse was King David's father. God preserved a remnant of Judah, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, so that the lineage of King David would continue. And he did it for you. As we read the verses in chapter 11, could you hear Isaiah describing Jesus? Because the shoot from the stump of Jesse grew, and everything Isaiah prophesied happened, and it happened for you. God ultimately sent Jesus for you. Always remember who you are and whose you are. You are loved by God. His love for you is indescribable. You belong to him. Yes, you sin, fall short of God's glory just like Judah. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death on the cross and rise again for your forgiveness. By the love and power of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. So always remember, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you love us and that you forgive us and call us your own. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Who do you say that I am? When I think of myself, I know exactly what you see. Every flaw, every blemish, the scars of my hurts and my mistakes, the things I've done to myself, the things that have been said and done to me, that's who I am. You see a mother, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, You see the scarce shadow of a woman's potential irreversibly wrapped in failure. But then I hear it. That still, small voice. Who told you that? Who told you that you are defined by your mistakes? 
Who told you that you are ugly and broken? Who told you that you are only measured by what you give others? Who told you that brokenness and frailty are what you carry? Haven't you heard? You are not what everyone says you are. You are who God says you are and you are his. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says you are a perfect design, made for a purpose, made for a destiny, and you are never alone. He says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He says you are bold. He says you are brilliant. He says you are brave. He says greater is he that is in you. hand-painted by the master himself. You are who God says you are.